Welcome to the Red Med Podcast, Rescue, Expedition and Disaster Medicine, where we provide a platform for healthcare professionals working in or aspiring to join rescue, expedition and disaster response teams, a platform to share information, advice and opportunities and connect like-minded Red Med individuals in our community. Good evening and welcome to the Red Med Podcast, Rescue, Expedition and Disaster Medicine. I'm Chris Gibson. As usual, this podcast is supported by SOS Coffee, coffee which we use to support medical missions and free CPR and bleeding control courses around Guatemala. Tonight, I thought we'd have a quick look at point-of-care ultrasound POCUS in COVID-19. As we've talked about on previous podcasts, POCUS has a number of benefits for us in the remote rescue, expedition, disaster, wilderness, tactical environments. It's an incredible, lightweight, versatile diagnostic tool. These days, it's portable. Skill acquisition is fairly fast. The evidence that I'll present at the end of the podcast shows that paramedics, pre-hospital providers, can become current and competent with its use in a fairly short period of time through didactic training and a period of supervised um, live ultrasound scans. These days, it's extremely cheap. Um, not only the portable units like uh, laptop-based units, but also the portable Wi-Fi and Bluetooth wireless handheld units that connect to your tablet or your smartphone are really accessible for most companies. It can be connected, as we mentioned, via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth to your smartphone, but also to a satellite Wi-Fi hub, allowing you to pre-alert the receiving facility to connect all the links of the chain in your medical emergency response plan or to reach back through telemedicine to a specialist uh, whether you send a static image or a video for a second opinion for supportive diagnosis to guide a procedure but really it's incredible what we can do with a combination of lightweight equipment these days it will be another tool in our toolkit to help support an evacuation decision for triage and to evacuate a patient. Flight to remote areas can be particularly expensive, so we can either justify the need or justify that it's not required. So we can use it as a tool to employ a fast scan to identify free fluid in the abdomen or intra-abdominal bleeding to use tranexamic acid or to justify an urgent medivac. We can do the extended fast, including lung ultrasound, to identify tension pneumothoraces, cardiac tamponade, pulmonary edema, high-altitude pulmonary edema, hemothorax, pneumonia, or we can even look at the diameter of the optic nerve sheath, which can identify increased intracranial pressure, and there's potential use for POCUS in high-altitude cerebral edema. The, uh, The evidence is not clear yet, but it certainly may have a position in that area. So lung ultrasound, how do we do it? Very, very simple. Break up the thoracic cavity into segments, six segments per side, two anterior in the mid-clavicular line, two lateral in the mid-axillary line, and two posterior. Place the probe perpendicular to the chest wall, plenty of gel, 
and then methodically scan segment by segment both sides make a bilateral comparison um, and then we'll have a look what we'll find I generally on operations don't have whether it be the funds the space or the the luxury of weight to take three different probes or three different transducers on expeditions I'll generally take a curvilinear probe a low frequency curvilinear probe which allows me to look at the deeper structures ideal for a fast exam if we want to look at intra-abdominal bleeding uh, but it also gives us a very good view of the lungs it can also be used to look at the diameter of the optic nerve sheath believe it or not it still gives you whilst it's not particularly accurate for superficial structures we have been able to successfully measure the diameter with the uh, curvilinear probe so that's multi-purpose very very good you can use the high frequency linear probe which gives you a better view of superficial structures so you can look at veins for cannulation identify deep vein thrombosis you get a, a more a clearer view or a clearer image if you like of the optic nerve sheath but equally it gives you a great view of the the pleura perhaps not as deep into the lungs but gives you a very very good idea of what's going on in the pleura see if there's any edema or lung sliding so probe as in the photo perpendicular to the chest wall with the orientation marker towards the patient's head just to give you an idea of the way you're orientated to the patient and the image and we should be scanning at a depth of 10 to 12 10 to 15 centimeters depending on the depth of the thorax of our patient so there's an example of the segments segments one and two in the mid clavicular line three and four in the mid axillary line and then five or five and six in the the posterior portion and then repeat the same segments on the opposite side so in a normal lung ultrasound we should see sliding lung sign as the pleural layers slide over the top of each other we should see that white hyperechoic pleura moving or shimmering we should see rib shadow we should see the combination of those two give us the bat sign we should see a lines or air lines which is just an artifact or reflection of the pleura we'll see different a lines coming in at equidistant um, or the same distance from the pleura and there should be an absence of b lines there may be some patients with one or two b lines uh, that doesn't necessarily represent pathology but once we start getting to three or more b lines then that is significant so there's our normal ultrasound what it should look like we've got the rib and the rib shadow we've got the rib here and the rib shadow represented in blue we've got the white shimmering pleura and then below that we've got an a line we come down there's no b lines so there we've got what we call the bat sign which is the rib spaces plus the pleural line the rib space gives us the bat sign that's normal in a healthy lung and then we've got these rib shadows where the ultrasound can't penetrate so that's normal lung sign or what we should find in a normal lung ultrasound and you can see the patient's breathing you can see the white hyperechoic pleura here shimmering or moving backwards and forwards and the absence of b lines we can also use ultrasound to diagnose tension pneumothorax hemothorax pulmonary edema 
or high altitude pulmonary edema. Here we can just see some B lines creeping in. We'll talk about that in a moment. So COVID specific, what are, what are the benefits specifically with a potential COVID patient in a remote area? We can very, very quickly identify the difference between a normal lung and lung pathology. Whether we know exactly what we're looking for or not will depend on our currency, competence, scope of practice. But employing telemedicine in combination with ultrasound, we can reach back to the medical director or radiologist for a second opinion or a little bit of guidance. It's a great tool to enable triage. We can say immediately, this patient's got serious lung pathology and we need to get him out of here. We can pre-alert the receiving facility so they can have specialists on standby to receive the patient and potentially in a COVID environment, they're going to employ the correct PPE to isolate themselves and other patients from our personal under investigation. We can also use the ultrasound to provide information to the receiving facility so they don't need to employ the use of CT or X-ray. So therefore, we're not contaminating other areas of the hospital. We're not contaminating specific equipment that's still needed for the ongoing trauma and medical emergencies that will be happening in the background behind the COVID patients. Therefore, we not only reduce the exposure of our staff, we're reducing the contamination and reducing the time required to decontaminate and free up that equipment. And also, in a remote environment, whether it be on a tactical team, an expedition, perhaps in a refugee camp, we're not going to have access to a CT scanner or X-ray. Down here in Guatemala, in the tropical regions, we've simultaneously got patients presenting with very, very similar signs and symptoms caused by viral infections, bacterial infections, parasitic infections, dengue, Zika, chikungunya, malaria, giardia, all the way through to standard influenza and COVID. Most of them start off with general malaise and weakness, maybe some joint pain, muscle pain, headaches. Some of them will present with a cough, um, but they'll all present initially with fever, and some may even present with GI upsets, which a lot of patients are now demonstrating in covid whether it be gastrointestinal pain, diarrhea. So initially, the differential diagnosis can be tricky, particularly in these regions. So the introduction of POCUS or ultrasound, lung ultrasound, will allow us to identify that additional lung pathology and potentially direct our suspicion and put that person under investigation, take the appropriate PPE precautions. So we've mentioned the specific benefits enables us to triage, pre-alert, isolate the patient, reduce exposure of colleagues and direct the patient to the right facility at the right time. This paper produced in The Lancet recently was uh, published, was written by three Italian doctors who highlighted that we should be using the ultrasound more than the stethoscope and that the use of ultrasound not only reduced paediatric exposure to x-ray that it was particularly effective and it also reduced the exposure of other healthcare professionals. So bedside use of ultrasound, point of care ultrasound, remote area use of ultrasound, it really is a great tool. It can be protected easily, slide it in a Ziploc plastic bag, perform the ultrasound, decontamination is literally thrown away the plastic bag and then we can quickly move on to the next patient. 
So it's saving resources in a limited resource environment, making us much more efficient and prepared to deal with other patients. Going backwards there. Signs and symptoms in COVID then. They're varied. And the CDC and the US COVID-19 task force highlighted yesterday that potentially between 25 and 50% of patients with COVID may be asymptomatic. We don't have the evidence to support that yet, but it may be the case that there are numerous asymptomatic patients in the community. Those with symptoms may present with a persistent dry cough, fever, general malaise and weakness, GI symptoms, gastrointestinal pain, diarrhoea. I read a paper last week that highlighted that up to 40% of patients with COVID explained they, they lost their sense of smell. Difficulty breathing as the disease progresses. This is something that jumps out and may help us with a differential diagnosis between things like Zika, dengue, malaria and COVID as we start to get difficulty breathing. In the early stages, we used to interview patients and ask had they travelled to an outbreak region, had they come from China, from Italy, from South Korea. As more international borders are closed down, more and more the questions change and we're asking, have they had contact with somebody with symptoms? Have they travelled from an endemic region, perhaps, rather than coming from overseas? And then the ultrasound findings may direct our second phase of questions or, or clinical exams that we need to continue. So lung ultrasound in COVID-19, what does it look like? It varies from patient to patient, but some of the key things we might look for could be changes in the pleura. We see the white hyperechoic pleural line here. That should be moving, sliding, shimmering in a normal lung. In somebody with COVID, we may say that, that pleural line is thickened. We may even see a thickened, jagged or gaps in the pleura where it becomes irregular or discontinued. Or we may see reduced sliding. There's the first sign. Then, as we start to see an accumulation of fluid in the alveoli, we're going to start to see B-lines. B-lines projected from the pleura all the way to the bottom of the scan screen. One or two may be perfectly normal. Once we get to three plus, that starts to become significant. That's significant pathology, whether it be um, a cardiac cause, whether it be high altitude pulmonary edema, whether it be pneumonia, COVID, it is significant once we get to three B lines or above. Then we might find interlobular abnormalities. So we could see consolidations or liquid accumulating in the lungs represented by hypoechoic zones or black zones, dark zones where there's fluid. Or we might see hyperechoic white areas of air bronchograms scattered throughout both lungs. So here we've got an example of the B-lines projecting from the pleura all the way down. You may see B-lines in ARDS, pneumonia, cardiogenic pulmonary edema, high-altitude pulmonary edema, atelectasis, pulmonary contusion, a whole range of pathologies present with B-lines. So this is just a another tool to add to our clinical findings and a good history taken. But I would certainly say in the current day and age, in the environment, it's all about context 
are we in Iran are we in New York are we in Spain or in Italy my first suspicion upon seeing beelines in these communities would be Covid until proven otherwise but certainly if there's any history leading up to this we're going to use full PPE before we even go near the patient with ultrasound so here's an example of a Covid ultrasound we can see the hypoechoic areas, the dark areas of consolidations in liquid around the pleura. And then we can see these white hyperechoic areas of bronchograms, normally bilaterally. So we add those to the clinical signs, the fever, the beelines, and we would be highly suspicious of COVID-related pneumonia. So in summary, it's fairly quick to use. It's an easily accessed system fairly cheap, flexible, robust, allows us as pre-hospital providers to quickly identify lung pathology. It allows us to reduce the exposure of other healthcare workers to persons under investigation. It's going to free up radiology resources for other patients. Remember, the trauma continues, the medical emergencies continue. And we need to be as agile and as efficient as possible with the use of all the resources as the systems become overloaded. It may help us reduce patients, pediatric patients, to unnecessary doses of radiation. And it's very, very easy to protect and disinfect. We don't need to move from one ward to another. We don't need to move the equipment. We don't need to disinfect the room or, or large pieces of equipment. We literally place the wireless ultrasound probe in a plastic bag, scan the chest, identify what we're looking for, and then disregard the plastic bag and move on to the next patient. So very effective, very efficient, allows us to triage the patient, both in the pre-hospital and the hospital environment, to direct the right resources to the right patient at the right time uh, and keep our healthcare workers safe. We can quickly provide pre-alerts. They can don the right PPE, isolate suspect patients, and then uh, hopefully help them to make a full recovery. So a very, very quick introduction, guys. Hope you're safe and well. Best of luck during this pandemic period. And please, if you've got any other information or any other findings or suggestions with regards to pre-hospital ultrasound or even hospital ultrasound for COVID-19, I would love to hear from you. All the best and stay safe. Apologies, guys, if you try to follow along and you can't visualise the screen or you can't visualise the ultrasound images, if you go across to the Red Med Facebook page, Rescue Expedition and Disaster Medicine, then I've posted the videos on there so you can follow along with the same audio and see the, the static images and the videos to see exactly what we're talking about and bring it to life. Okay, all the best. Stay safe and thanks very much for the hard work out there.